0: For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. The word of God for the people of God.
1: Amen. Well, good morning. Morning. I hope that y'all are doing well. It's a joy to be with you this morning. My name is Marco. I serve as the preaching and teaching pastor here at Storehouse McKellen. Uh, Once more, it's great to be here. We're going to look at Galatians chapter 5 verses 1 through 15, as Eric just read and did so well, by the way. Uh, Nevertheless, we're going to find ourselves in Galatians 5, 1 through 15. If you're new, we have been working our way through the book of Galatians for about 10 weeks now, if not just a little bit more. We have about three more weeks left in Galatians, Uh, so really exciting. As you have open or load your Bible, I've got a couple of quick updates for you. The first one is that if you're new, we'd love to hang out with We'd love to take you out to lunch or dinner uh, or coffee, whichever works best for you. In the chairs and in the connect desk, there are these cards. It says connect on those cards. Fill one out, leave it at the connect desk, and we'll set something up with you. Uh, It also uh, allows us to have an opportunity to pray for you if you would allow us to. So fill those out. In addition to that, we have Bibles available for you. That is our gift to you also located in the chairs and in the Connect desk. We love God's Word. We preach from God's Word. We desire to be a church that is gospel-centered, derived strictly or, or primarily from Scripture. Uh, nevertheless, that's, that's, I think, all of the things I got for you today. Once more, Galatians 5, 1 through 15. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but uh, I hate running. I think running is dumb, right? Whoever is here and likes to run... I think it's dumb, right? Now here's the thing. When I formally competed in weightlifting, the last thing my coach or I ever thought about when it came to programming was running, right? Conditioning for me meant anything over five reps uh, or simply lifting weights faster. However, there was a time when running was a part of my program, right? When I was in wrestling, my coach would make us run a ridiculous amount. It was, horrible. I hated it. I never looked forward to it. Uh, So even since then, hated it. I was never good at long distance. I was never good at lengthy periods of running. I was pretty much a sprinter and that was about it. And such was the case for my most embarrassing moment. My wrestling coach told us to be a part of the track team. And uh, as he told us to get uh, in track, we got into the track team and I ran the 400 meter dash or the 400 meter run. And I kind of liked it because it was over quick. I knew that I could finish it in, in under a minute and that's kind of why I liked it. But then this one day, I missed my event. I missed the heat. And man, I got chewed out in front of the whole team by my wrestling coach who was there. And my punishment for missing this event was running the 1600 meter run, which is the mile run, right? It was just dumb, right? So the, the whole track meet is working its way up. It's the last event of the day. And it had gotten so late on this, on this one particular meet, it had gotten so late that uh, those running the meet decided to just throw all of the heats together in one giant race. And that also included the girls track team. And so they threw us all in there. And I'm panicking. I don't know what this is going to look like for me. The gun goes off and I take off. And I can remember, as I'm running, I can hear my coach saying, you have a good pace, keep it up. And eventually, I just tank. Right? I'm starting to panic because there's this technique where you pace uh, yourself as you run next to someone. I have no idea how to do that on a long distance event. I start panicking because I don't have any rhythm to my breathing, right? So it's the kind of breathing where it sounds like you're suffocating and your lips are going in and out. You're making those ugly faces that you never want anybody to see, but they come out in your most painful events in life. This was one of those. And then I recognize or I realize that I'm the last one in, uh, of the guys. And as I'm like starting to fade even more, my legs are burning, I feel like life is over. Uh, I see the girls start catching up, and they just start passing me. And as I'm running, I just walk. I'm like, forget this. I'll, I'll get chewed out again. I don't mind that. right. The race is over. My coach pulls me to the side, laughing, but he pulls me to the side, and he says, you were running so well. What happened? Much like my coach, the Apostle Paul is doing something similar to the Galatians, If you look at the section we're in, in verse 7, Paul says, You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Paul is saying, what happened? You did so well. There are many things that can hinder Christians from running well. For the Galatians, it was the issue of false teaching and legalism. The Galatians were turning to a gospel that they taught that taught, excuse me, that they needed to contribute to their salvation, a form of self-atonement, if you will, in order to find them find themselves acceptable before God. You may have heard of something similar when you hear an individual say, "I just need to pay God back. In our time together, uh, I've heard some of you say that in the context of serving. Man, I serve my local church so that I would pay God back. And the idea behind that is that we would somehow find ourselves more acceptable before God. The Apostle Paul in this section is not only correcting them in their doctrine, but he's going to correct them in their devotion. That is the way in which they walk. You see, by embracing or turning to a different gospel, and that word different, I use it in the context that Paul does in chapter 1, where he says, I learned that you were turning to a different gospel. The word different implies that the gospel, the message that they're turning to, is one of a completely different nature of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so here, as they are embracing or turning toward a different gospel, not only were they in their doctrine, not only were they beginning to believe that their salvation is based on their merit, their human merit, but their devotion, the way in which they walk, they were beginning to look to former ways of slavery instead of walking in the freedom that Christ had provided them with already. As we begin chapter 5, you're going to hear a lot about freedom. And apart from the topic of justification, that is, how an individual is made or declared righteous before God, apart from the topic of justification by faith alone and Christ alone, the subject of Christian freedom is at the heart of Galatians. In fact, it is so important that the letter to the Galatians has often been referred as the Magna Carta of Christian freedom by many scholars. Christian freedom is a great gift from Jesus, not only because we are made free, but because our nature is now new. Our nature is different. And what Paul is going to get at in this section of Galatians, and in turn, what the Spirit of God is going to press upon us is, and here's the main idea, is that the nature of the heart determines the fruit that you produce. The nature of your heart determines the fruit that you produce. In short, an apple tree does not Bear oranges. So let me pray, and then we'll dig more into our time. God, we thank you for the opportunity to gather and to examine and worship you uh, through the preaching of your word. And as a result, Lord, we ask that your word be sweeter to us than the taste of honey. May we incline our hearts toward you and your word this morning. May you fill us with more of Jesus through your spirit. And may you reveal Jesus to those who don't know him. And so we ask this in his precious name. Amen. All right, so we're going to begin or we're going to look at 15 verses, but we're going to break them down into four sections. I'll give you those sections. You're going to see them up on the screen. So just bear with me. The first one is going to be delighting in freedom. And this is come, going to come from the perspective of legalism. Or in contrast to legalism, Uh, discernment and false gospels, discernment and false teachers, and then once more, delighting in freedom from a different perspective. All of these we'll work through as we uh, walk down this section. Beginning with the first one, delighting in freedom. The first section, delighting in freedom, consists of only the first verse because verse one sets the tone for the rest of a passage. So let's look at verse one. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Here's the first thing that I want you to notice, and that's the word therefore. It's right in the middle of verse 1. Anytime you see this word in Scripture, you need to know that it's an important word because it implies a transition. In other words, whatever the author is about to say is a result of what he has already said. Feel me on that? And what has he said? From the end of chapter 2 through the end of chapter 4, which we covered last week, the Apostle Paul has been hammering, defending, presenting, arguing the doctrine of justification by faith alone in Christ alone. So, in a nutshell, it would be as though Paul is saying, as a result of your justification in Christ alone, you are free. And then he's going to go on and expand that. So therefore is an important word. Secondly, I want you to notice the split in the midst of it. Paul opens up by saying, for freedom, Christ has set us free. I want you to sit in that for a little bit. because yes, he is addressing the Galatians, but the Spirit of God is also addressing you and I. For freedom, Christ has set us free. That's real time. That's present tense. That is an assertion or a statement of fact. Paul isn't being suggestive. Paul doesn't say, hey, this is what I think. Paul isn't saying, you know, I was thinking about this. I want to hear your feedback. Paul is telling them that they have been freed in Christ. That is a statement of fact. Then Paul goes on to say, stand firm. Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. That too is also a present tense uh, section. In other words, it's a command. In one side, Paul is saying, this is what Christ has done for you. That is a fact. That's not suggestive. This is what Jesus has done for you. As a result of what Jesus has done for you, stand firm. It is a godly command based on what Jesus has done for you and the Spirit residing in you. So that's incredibly important in light of what Paul is saying. So we must consider this freedom that Paul keeps or will continue to talk about in our time. In short, here it is. For the Christian, Jesus, and that's you, Jesus has met your death deepest need. I'm not saying you don't have other needs. I'm not saying you don't have other significant needs, but Jesus has met your deepest need. He has removed the guilt and penalty of sin that laid over your head through dying on a cross in your place. I'm reminded of the story of of the paralytic in Mark. You guys remember that? Jesus is preaching and teaching. I think it's out of uh, Peter's mom's house. And the crowds are surrounding the house. And a group of dudes want to get their friend to Jesus. So they get on the roof. And they're like climbing through the roof trying to get to Jesus. And when they finally get to the house where Jesus is at, They remove the roof and they lower their friend, right? Do you remember what Jesus says when he sees the paralytic? Jesus says, your sins have been forgiven. That's the first thing he tells him. He is not oblivious that this man, this individual is a paralytic. He is not oblivious that he has some significant needs, But in that moment, Jesus' first response is that he looks beyond the physical condition and meets his deepest need. That his sins have been forgiven. That guilt has been removed. And then he heals them. And in other scenarios, Jesus meets their deepest need and doesn't necessarily address other needs that they have. Jesus has met your deepest need. As a result, you, Christian, are forgiven of your sin. You have been redeemed. That is, you have been bought out of your slavery to sin and death. You don't live with a sense of condemnation because Jesus has taken it for you. You have been freed. And so why is that an issue? Why is it an issue for the Galatians? Why is freedom such a big deal? Well, much like the Galatians, you and I are prone to forget our freedom. And you know you have forgotten the beauty and gift of freedom when the gospel becomes old news when the gospel is something you have merely rehearsed instead of folded into your heart. Freedom isn't a big deal, or we forget our freedom when we realize that it's not a big deal because sin isn't that big of a deal. The gospel is not going to be awesome unless you see the awfulness of your previous condition. My favorite Puritan, Thomas Watson, says, until sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. That's why freedom is such a big deal. Because you and I are prone to forget our freedom. You and I are prone to making the gospel old news and to making sin normative. Not just outside the walls of the church, but us particularly. Sin is normative. And that's a struggle, isn't it? objectively if we were to just talk about what we know objectively we know that we are free from guilt we know that we are freed from the penalty of sin but experientially experientially we struggle to be freed from the grip of sin we struggle to believe that we are acceptable before god Perhaps this illustration will help. It comes from Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He was a pastor in the 20th century. Um, this is on, uh, from a sermon in Romans 6, uh, and he gives an illustration to kind of elaborate on this idea of freedom and slavery. Here's what he says. I don't think it's up on your notes, so you get to just listen, which is cool. Here we go. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, "Imagine." imagine that you were a slave in the southern united states before the emancipation proclamation that means you could not vote you had no power and someone could beat you up and probably kill you you did not have any rights so if you were in town and some white person told you to do this or that and was abusive to you you were very frightened And did anything they said now it's 10 years later and the emancipation proclamation has been issued you now have rights but you walk into town and a white person starts to yell at you even though you know with your head i have some rights you're still scared and acting like a slave that is the condition of every christian That is the condition of every Christian. We know in our heads that we have been freed from the penalty of sin, that our guilt has been removed. And yet oftentimes, we walk as though we are still slaves to our sin. You know, but you don't know. You know that you have been saved from slavery to sin and that you should be free Technically and objectively, you are not a slave, and God has actually freed you. Listen to me on this. God has actually freed you from sins that you are still enslaved to. You have been freed from those sins. The Holy Spirit residing in you gives you the power to push back, to say no, to fight. When Paul writes that Christ has set us free, Christian, you must understand that you are free indeed. You must work the beauty of the gospel into your heart every single day. Christ has met your deepest need. Liberating you from the yoke of your sin. That word yoke in verse 1, Paul is talking about teachings. In a moment, we're going to get into false teachings. He has liberated you from the yoke of your sin and transformed your entire nature by His grace. Therefore, stand firm. This verse, in a nutshell, Paul is saying, don't go back to slavish ways. Don't go back and put yourself under the burden of your sin. To the Galatians he's saying don't go back and put yourself under the burden of legalism where you're trying to contribute to your salvation you have been set free because of what Jesus has done for you on your behalf Christian freedom is the result of God meeting our deepest Need through Jesus. And it is because that we are free, that we are free to fight back against sin, but most of all, that we are free to love God and others. We'll talk about that more in a minute. That was verse one. Now we're gonna look at verses two through six. As a result of what Jesus has done for us, we must also remember that the Holy Spirit dwells within us. One of the things that this means is that we're able to discern between godly and ungodly. Some have the gift of discernment, while many of us must practice this wonderful gift of discernment. The author to the Hebrews says it this way in chapter 5, verse 14. Solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. If you and I want to grow in our discernment, we must find ourselves saturated, immersed in God's Word. We must begin to take delight as we depend on Christ in communion with God. And as that begins to take place, we will grow in our discernment. Discernment implies that we are actually in the Word of God so that when things come to us, we are able to make distinctions between good and evil, godly and ungodly, spiritual and unspiritual, holy and heretical, That's the whole point of discernment. And this is where the Galatians were struggling. They were forfeiting the growth that they were beginning to experience. Once more, in verse 7, Paul says, you were running so well. They were forfeiting the growth that they were experiencing. They were forfeiting their discernment and becoming persuaded to adopt a different gospel. In this section, Paul will walk us through, and we're going to go through these fairly quickly, Paul walks us through five results of false teaching. That is, if we lack discernment, then this is the result of what will come from that. Here's the first one, beginning in verse 2. Paul says, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Here's the, the lingering, the big issue that was happening in the churches in Galatia. It was the issue of circumcision. It wasn't, uh, it was the issue of circumcision and, and false teachers wanting to fold them back under the Mosaic law. And so here, what Paul is telling them is that if you accept circumcision, Christ is going to be of no advantage. Essentially, what Paul is saying is, why did Jesus need to come and die then? If you're going to accept this teaching, what was the purpose of Jesus? Likewise, for us, if we accept any other doctrine apart from justification by faith in Christ, what was the purpose of Jesus then? When we, like the Galatians, are persuaded by different doctrines, Christ becomes insufficient. When we are swayed to and fro, as Paul says in Ephesians, and James tells the churches uh, in, in dispersion, when we are swayed to and fro, By every other wind of doctrine, Christ becomes insufficient. And in the case of the Galatians, what they wanted to do was they wanted to have one foot in with Christ and one foot to do the rest. Yeah, I'll take part of the gospel, and then I'm going to do this other stuff myself. My favorite Bible teacher, John Calvin, Johnny Calves, here's what he says. Whoever wants to have a half Christ loses the whole. That was the issue here that Jesus had become insufficient to the Galatians. Number two, Paul says, this is in verse three, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. Paul says that anyone who accepts circumcision must embrace the entirety of the law all of the mosaic law not just the moral law uh, but the dietary laws the ceremonial laws you must adopt all of it and you are obligated to uphold all of it in chapter 3 paul went on to say that <clears throat> in chapter 3 paul went on to say that no one can do that apart from jesus That the law was meant to expose our hearts. The law is meant to expose our idols and reveal our need for a savior. In keeping the law, that then means that they are willingly subjecting themselves to slavery, the yoke of slavery, of a burden that they cannot bear. And listen to me, how many Christians, and this may be you, how many Christians willingly place themselves under this burden of legalism that, if we're honest, is just crushing you? How many Christians are being crushed by legalism or false teachings? Chew on that. There's a reason the term spiritually exhausted exists. People trying to do it on their own. People trying to do it on their own. One of the guys said it the best this way: You're trying to muscle your way through it, and it becomes spiritually exhausting. Well, it's spiritually exhausting because you are being crushed by this burden. Thirdly, Paul goes on to say: This is in verse four. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. So their their entire thing is that they are turning to religion by human achievement. That's their jam. They're turning to religion by human achievement. And Paul continues, "Uh, you who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. It's not that they have lost their salvation. Some would uh, interpret this verse that way. It's not that they have lost their salvation. It's that their doctrine is completely misguided. And as a result, they are disconnected from the reality of Jesus. Paul in this section, in this verse is saying either... You are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone or you're not. You can't have both, right? That's the argument he's saying. James says something similar. I think it's in chapter one that if you are a double-minded person, not only are you ineffective, but you're dangerous. Trying to have one foot in the gospel, one foot in the world, trying to do it yourself. Either salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, or it isn't. You cannot have both. Fourth, Paul says, <clears throat> for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. See, ultimately, Paul is saying false teaching doesn't breed hope. It only breeds condemnation. Legalism only breeds crushing guilt, overwhelming guilt. However, for those who have the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, by faith, we await the coming of the Lord Jesus. I mean, the whole point of the Advent season is that we celebrate the arrival of Jesus, and then we also look to the second Advent of his return. See, it's this hope that keeps us running. Those who don't have this hope only have anxiety, about the future. Fifth, Paul finishes, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Paul is saying, hey, circumcision had a purpose. However, in Christ, it counts for nothing. It doesn't merit anything. What counts is whether or not you are a new creation. That's the issue here. That is, faith working through love. You see, the false teachers who were trying to persuade the Galatians to turn to this gospel, they kept on trying to persuade them as far as an external change. If you do these external things, if you look the part, then you're going to be holy. Then you're going to be truly acceptable before God. And Paul says that's not the issue. The issue is whether or not there's an internal change. The issue or not is whether the nature has been changed. The issue is whether or not you have a new heart heart in christ and those who never manifest love those who don't demonstrate love show that they are not a new creation church apart from a new nature apart from a new heart not only will we be unable to discern false teaching we will be unable to demonstrate love The next section, this is verses 7 through 12. It's kind of a cool section. Paul ends with a bang on this one. We'll talk about that in a minute. This is where we're looking at discernment and false teachers. As Paul has addressed the results of false teaching, he now turns toward two characteristics of false teachers. And just like in the previous section, if we do not apply discernment, then we too will become easily persuaded and lured away from the truth, from the truth of the gospel. Here we go. Beginning in verse seven, Paul says, you were running so well, who hindered you from obeying the truth? Here's what you need to know about false teachers. Okay? False teachers are going to hinder you from the truth. They're going to try to persuade you. They're going to try to lure you away from the truth. And in the coming verses, Paul expands on how they hinder or how they hindered the Galatians. In verse 8, he says, this persuasion is not from him who calls you. Right? Did I read that right? Yes. Okay. Him who calls you. So the very first thing that you need to know is that false teachers are going to hinder you by simply trying to persuade you. Now, the word persuasion in verse 8, the, the, the root meaning of that word in particular is the only time we see it in the New Testament. Meaning it was a very strong word. It was a very emphatic word. And so what Paul is trying to communicate to them is, hey, they're going to lure you because perhaps they're physically attractive. They're eloquent in speech. They're going to be able to put on a good show so that new believers are persuaded to abandon the gospel of grace and adopt a false gospel. And you need to know that. You need to know that they're going to persuade you and hinder you from obeying the truth. You need to know that because many of you listen to podcasts and read books and other sermons and you check out all of the cool things and clever hashtags and you have your favorite pastors. Even when it comes to this pulpit, you need to know, you need to make sure that it is pulling you back to the pages of Scripture and not some eloquent form of persuasion. They are going to try and persuade you. They're going to try and hinder you from the truth with really fancy words, a really good show. That's how you know, man. When the budget is bigger, uh, when the production budget is bigger than discipleship, that's when you know. Or at the very least, should raise a flag. Martin Luther calls these false teachers a juggler of a thousand tricks. They're ready to hit you with something to persuade you. Paul continues. This is verse nine. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. All right? This is still under persuasion. False teachers are going to contaminate the whole. With loud bangs, not all the time. Particularly in the church, they're going to come into the church quietly. They're going to sit in the chairs where you're sitting. They're going to sit in the pews, and it's going to be a little bit. The idea of a little leaven leavens the whole lump is a little bit of yeast. You just need a little bit, and it infects the whole loaf. That's the whole point with false teachers. It's not like you need this team of false teachers. You need one, two, three, and a little bit leavens the whole lump. That infection affects the whole That corruption, that little corrosion, infects the entire loaf. Jesus says it this way in Matthew 16. Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they, that is the disciples, and they began discussing it amongst themselves. We brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, Oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Right. So Jesus is talking about the same kind of contamination that takes place with the Pharisees. Hey, just a little bit will affect the whole thing. And the disciples are like, we didn't bring any bread. He's like, that's not what I mean. Right. And so here's the thing. When it comes to the church, oftentimes a church who lacks discernment, when you hear some of those things, like when it comes to false gospels, it's really just a twisting of a word or two. And oftentimes when the church lacks discernment, the church is like, I mean, that doesn't sound bad. I didn't think it was that bad. I mean, yeah, but you had to be there to see what they meant. That's what Paul is talking about. That's what Jesus is talking about. It just takes a little bit to corrode the whole thing. And the reason it's so effective is because the church lacks discernment. And the reason the church lacks discernment is because God's word is not a delight. God's Word is not a discipline. God's Word is not treasured. Preferences are treasured. Something that sounds kind of godly is treasured. If I don't have to open my Bible and I can Google it, I'm cool with that. False teachers hinder churches or Christians from the truth through persuasion, through corruption. And Paul says that one day they will be judged. Verse 10, Paul says, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, All right? So Paul is saying, man, I, like this shows Paul's love for the Galatians because he's like, they haven't fully turned, right? They're, they're being tempted to turn. And Paul is saying, man, I have confidence that you're going to subject yourself to the gospel of grace. That's what I'm hoping for, <laughs> And then you're going to turn to the gospel of grace. And the one who is troubling you, whoever it is, is going to bear the penalty. He will be judged. So how do they hinder you from the truth? Or what's one of the characteristics of a false teacher? They hinder you from the the truth through persuasion and corruption. The second thing is that they persecute gospel-centered teachers. Paul says, but if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. What Paul is ultimately talking about is the fact that he is being persecuted by these false teachers. And that's the truth in terms of what you're going to experience. I mean, if you think about the message of the gospel, it's a message that is free to everyone and anyone. It is available to everyone and anyone. No political ideology is necessary, no social status. It is available to everyone and anyone. And people reject that. And that's what Paul is experiencing. He's saying, hey, this message is for anyone. This is free to anyone. And he is being persecuted over it. And the reason he's being persecuted over it is because the cross is a stumbling block. See, people want big miracles. They want big miracles. Or they want dense logic. But then you present them with Christ crucified, and they get angry, and they reject it. Why? Why is the cross such a stumbling block? Because of human pride. The cross crushes human pride. It dismisses human achievement, and people like us hate that. Paul concludes in verse 12. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. That's so harsh. That's so awesome. I'm not gonna like break down the words. I'm sure you could figure it out. But here's what I want you to know. Paul's committed to the gospel. These false teachers the results that he is seeing take place in in the churches in Galatia, their characteristics get him so righteously angry that he does something about it. He is that committed to the truth of the gospel. We saw something similar in chapter two where Paul calls Peter out in front of everybody because what was at stake was the gospel that Peter wasn't keeping in step with the gospel. And so Paul uses harsh language. We're not going to deny that. But he's not using harsh language just to show that he can use harsh language or that he's creative with his words. Paul is using harsh language because he has a righteous anger toward those who hinder Christians from the truth. So Christian, let me ask you, All of us are connected online. I know many of y'all read the books, the podcasts, all the stuff, right? You even have some conversations, whatevs. Are you as equally committed as the Apostle Paul when you hear false teaching? Can you distinguish between false teaching and godly teaching? Because Paul here In this statement he's angry because the gospel is under attack he wants to correct the galatians he wants to make sure that he they know that he loves them and paul is angry are you or you just write about it on social media or for instance in your community group or when you're with one another and one of you says something a little questionable do you say something not that you're going to use something like verse twelve, but you know you're going to say something like, "Hey, where, where did you get that from?" I mean, you could. I mean, that'd be funny, <laughs> right? Anyway, are you able to distinguish between godly teaching and false teaching? Does false teaching r- build righteous anger in you? That's how serious the Apostle Paul is. You're know, like, well, that's a, that's a little, that's the point, it is harsh. It, it's, it's a harsh word for the purpose of seeing them repent and for the Galatians to see the truth of the gospel. Apart from discernment, we will never recognize false teachers. And apart from a new nature where the gospel has taken root in our hearts, apart from a new nature the gospel will never be of first importance closing the section this is verses 13 to 15 paul ties everything together this is the second form of delighting in freedom whereas the first uh, in the opening verse he's addressing legalism here he's going to address something called licensing but he ties everything together to address licensing <clears throat> when it comes to licensing what Paul is saying, or better yet, what Paul is not saying here is that simply because we have been set free that we are without moral conduct. And some Christians believe that. Some Christians will abuse their Christian freedom. They will go and do whatever it is that they want to do looking like they're non-Christians, and then their defense is, well, Christ has already forgiven me. Christ is going to forgive me anyway. What about grace? Grace. And Paul says the same thing to the Romans in chapter 6. Should we continue to sin so that grace may abound? And he goes on to say, by no means. So just because we have been set free, and look at how he says, he opens it up in verse 13, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. So just because we're free doesn't mean that we are without moral conduct. Rather, Paul says, that because we are free, we now have responsibilities. My brother would always tell me this and I hated it. As I was growing up um, and I was getting older, uh, I forgot where we were going. And he was telling me, just remember, the older you get, the more freedom you have, the more freedom you have, the more responsibility you incur. And he would drill that in my head. I was like, shut up, man. (laughs) I'm in wrestling so paul says now that we're free we have responsibilities now in the context of everything that paul has said paul is ultimately reminding them hey christ has set you free by fulfilling god's law and as a result of christ fulfilling god's law jesus has put a new heart in you As a result, your nature is different. It is new. You are now free to love God. You weren't before this new nature. You were not able to love God apart from a new heart. But now that you have a new heart, now that you have been set free, you are capable and free to love God and to love your neighbor. Paul says it this way but through love serve one another for the whole law is fulfilled in one word you shall love your neighbor as yourself you see the result of the gospel taking place in our heart taking root in our heart is that the gospel leads us to love people the gospel leads us to pour ourselves out toward people The gospel frees us from self-absorption and self-righteousness. The gospel frees us to think like God. And God is in and all about community. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. In community with one another. And now that the gospel has taken root in our hearts and we have been freed in Christ, we are free to love God and one another. And He ends. But if you bite and devour one another... Watch out that you are not consumed by one another. It is the opportunities of the flesh. Y'all know what he means when he uses that little phrase, the flesh. That is that internal desire that you and I have to want to rebel against God. We have it even though we have been freed we talked about that a little bit right we have been freed from the punishment of sin we have been freed from the grip of sin but man the presence of sin still lingers right the presence of sin still lingers and so that is what Paul means when he's using the phrase the flesh that is that internal desire that you and I have to rebel against God And it is those opportunities of the flesh, check it. It is those opportunities of the flesh that lead to an unholy civil war in our churches. That's what divides churches. That's what kills churches. That's what leads churches to adopt different gospels. It is the opportunities of the flesh that lead to an unholy civil war in churches. You have been freed from captivity to sin. You have been freed from your slavery to sin and death. And you are now free to love God fully and freely, to love one another fully and freely and others who do not know Jesus, you are fully capable of doing that for the Spirit of God resides in you. And when we make the gospel about ourselves, we run the risk of turning toward legalism or licensing. And that's what kills our churches. That is what will destroy one another. The nature of your heart determines the fruit that you produce. An orange tree does not bear apples. So if you say that mean you're a Christian, if you say that you follow Jesus, then the Spirit of God resides in you, then your new nature determines the fruit that you produce. That's really... That's a big charge. That's what Paul is ultimately getting at. It's the inside that must have changed, not just the outside. Friends, as we close, here's what I would encourage you with. Live free. Everyone is talking about freedom right now. When you look on the media, you look on social media, everybody is talking about freedom for a variety of reasons, especially in the great country of Texas. And I say that as a proud Texan myself. But here's the thing. There's so little talk about the freedom Christ has given us. There's so little talk about that. Openly, honestly, I fear that we have forgotten the awfulness of our previous condition and have adopted the doctrine of policy over the doctrines of grace. I fear that we have adopted the doctrines of political and social ideology over the doctrine of justification by faith alone in Christ alone. If that's you, and it's not even to that, you could go the route of I've adopted the gospel of uh, rampant freedom rather than promise. If that's you, then you've submitted yourself to a yoke that keeps you from seeing Christ fully and clearly. One that keeps you from fully loving him and those around you. The question isn't whether or not you know of Christ. I'll say that one more time. The question isn't whether or not you know of Christ. The question is whether or not you produce fruit that reveals Christ. Christian, you have been set free. You are free from your slavery to sin and death because of Jesus' work on your behalf. So as you consider this section, what yoke are you submitting yourself to again? What temptation do you have to turn to a different gospel? Or do you abuse the freedom you have because it's the gospel according to yourself? As your friend, I hope probably, as your brother, (laughs) as your pastor, let me invite you to repent to turn toward Jesus, to keep your eyes on Jesus. If you want to summarize uh, verses one through 15, that's what Paul is saying. You have been, free in, you've been made freed in Christ, therefore keep your eyes on Christ. Turn toward Jesus, keep your eyes on Jesus, confess your sin before Jesus, and then let me encourage you to invite a brother or sister to hold you accountable. And we were talking a lot about accountability yesterday morning. Accountability is the byproduct of confession of sin. Right? And let, me, let me invite you to repent before the Lord. Let me encourage you to invite a brother or sister in your life to hold you accountable. And if you don't know Jesus, I love that you're here. I'm honored that you are here. It's a big deal for me, I think. but Man, I got, I got to tell you, you are in bondage. You are alienated from God. You are estranged from God. Yet, He offers you the grace of salvation that you cannot earn apart from faith in Jesus. Today, my encouragement would be to turn toward Jesus in repentance and walk not only in freedom, but in the newness of life. Church, remember this. The nature of your heart determines the fruit that you produce let's pray God in your presence we confess our sinfulness we confess our shortcomings and Lord we confess our offenses against you Lord, in your presence, and we cast our burdens that our bones have grown so weary of. You alone know how often and how easily we wander from your ways, how easily we forget your grace, and how easy, easily we forget your love for us in Jesus. Lord, there are those who are here who are spiritually exhausted, struggling to embrace the hope you provide for them in Christ. God, would you comfort them this morning with the same grace that you have saved them with? Lord, by your grace, would you sanctify them? Would you lead them to Jesus? God, forgive us of our sin. God, we ask that you would pour your grace out onto us this morning so that we may walk in the righteousness that is not only pleasing to you, but a righteousness that is not our own. God, may we bear fruit that reveals Christ to one another and our neighbor. For it is because of Jesus that we can love you fully and freely. May the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be pleasing to you this morning. Amen.